unhappiest in the saddle. <laughs> a fellow sportsman. I am an FBI agent. Great Scott. What do you say we cut the chit-chat a-hole? Dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Come with me if you want to live. Hello, and welcome to Retro Ramble. I'm Charlie McGee. I'm George McGee. And this time, we are delighted to have with us Neil Bushnell. Welcome to the podcast, Neil. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, it's really nice to be here. Thanks for thanks for asking me along. And the reason we've got Neil here is because we are boldly going where we have not gone before. We are reviewing Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, part of its 40-year anniversary. And adding together what George and I know about Star Trek, we quickly realized we were going to need some outside help. And that's what Neil is here to contribute with. So, George, what can our listeners expect to hear in this episode? Uh, well, yeah, as you say, it's, it's the first time we've we've tackled the Star Trek franchise. Um, and I think it's safe to say you and I are probably cinematic Trekkies. Is, is that the best way of putting it? We've seen majority of the films. We've watched, watched a lot of the original crew films, you know, growing up. With um, respect, yeah, yeah, you know, it's um, like, uh, yeah. We're casual, casual Trekkies. Um, but yeah, we, you know, it's obviously 40th anniversary, so we wanted, we thought it was the best time to do it. But yeah, as Charlie says, you know, we felt that we needed uh, someone with a bit more knowledge on, on, the, on the topic. Uh, so yes, we've kindly invited Neil on to, uh, to keep us in line when we're going, well, I don't know, I don't know what that means, or I don't know what that leads into. He dragged a nerd in, didn't he? Drive the nerd in. Yeah. <laughs> tech su- Rent a nerd. Port. Tech support. So yeah, all the usual shenanigans. Uh, you know, George and I are brothers. These are films. This this is a film of our youth. This was um, first discovered on, on, on Betamax or Betamax, however you want to say it. This was uh, one of the five videos we got to watch when we went over to our grannies. Well, quite an interesting choice of young children, as I'm sure we'll get into in this episode. Um, so if you've, uh, yeah, you listen before, you know what to expect. If you've not listened to uh, an episode before, um, we do cover other things other than Star Trek. Uh, but this is very special. It's a very special film to Star Trek fans. And I think for anybody sitting on the fence, it's it's a great film. And I couldn't help thinking, watching this film, that this was like that era's answer to a typical Marvel Guardians of the Galaxy film. It's funny looking back at it, but we're going to we're gonna get into it. Um, Anything else we need to say before we launch the trailer? Any, anything anybody wants to get off their chest? Um, we... I'll do the usual housekeeping disclaimer. So uh, we are a an independent film podcast. Uh, this is a lighthearted look back at the films that Charlie and I grew up with. Um, so it's not an in-depth critical appraisal, though we do try and uh, shower you with some trivia and things you might not have known about these films. Um, but yeah, I say it's a lighthearted look. There will be spoilers from the very off. Um, there'll probably be some bad impressions and there might even be a little bit of swearing. But as we have a guest, we'll try and keep it as polite as possible. Uh, I think that's everything. Okay, well, let's uh, let's let's get cracking with a knackin. George, you, have you got the trailer queued up? We can do that that thing where you, you launch it. I'll, I'll, I'll do, do the, the thingy with the thongy. I'm just, just pulling it up. Uh, So, so Neil, what we're going to do is I'm going to share my screen and we're going to play the play the trailer. Um, We're going to watch it. This is a very slick. This is the trailer on 
on IMDb. So I'm hoping it's it's the right one. So I'm going to. I just want to. I want a voiceover. I really want a voiceover. Okay. See that, and let's go. Beyond the darkness, beyond the human evolution, is Khan, a genetically superior tyrant, exiled to a barren planet, banished by a starship commander he is destined to destroy. Left for dead, he has survived. Chase him round the moons of Nibia and round the Antares maelstrom and round Perdition's flames before I give him up. There she is. to go on hurting you. I shall leave you as you left me, marooned for all eternity, buried alive, buried alive. Sean! Sean! At the end of the universe lies the beginning of vengeance. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. We no got worries. we got Gravely voice trailer man and lots of Rakadal Manalban. Oh my god. Okay, so George, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Um, I think probably a good place to start is as we alluded to in the intro. We we watched the next generation after school. We we got all we were, I think, like everybody else, slightly obsessed with um, you know, Patrick Stewart. You know, why wouldn't you? That level of Still actor. Are. And we had watched the other one, you know, we watched, but they were, it was hit and miss. Like you'd watch just like, yeah, it's, it's William Shatner. So we were, I guess, a generation apart or it just, it, it had been, we were too young for Star Wars as well. We missed Star Wars and, and Star Trek. So we, everything was kind of a bit secondary for us. Um, but so my only first memory, as I mentioned, is the fact that we went over to our grandma's, they had a Betamax and this was one of, two or three videos and so we watched this quite on on repeat and i think this is one of those things where we probably we remember the edited version of it but I, i'm guessing it's similar for you george we're going to introduce neil in a moment we brought neil in because he knows a lot more about star trek than we do so maybe we finish off with neil what do you think george yeah yeah i mean yeah obviously sh- sh- you know you and i occupy the same brain at times and shared memories um but yeah it was yeah, watching it when I was probably too young, but even watching it Far now, too young. <laughs> still, still, I'm still quite squeamish watching this film. Um, but yeah, I remember watching it at, at, at Granny's on on one of the three tapes, and you know, take that, kids, with all your 
your Netflix and your iPlayer and endless possibilities. We had three videos to choose from when we stayed at our grandmother's. Um, but yeah, I remember watching um, reruns uh, of the original series yeah. on BBC Two, maybe. And and yeah, I remember it was a big deal when the Next Generation launched. I remember you and I watching the the premiere of that. In it was in, so new, it was yeah. so glossy. Um, <laughs> and then you were like, oh, kind of not not entirely sold on it. Um, but yeah, I think this was the the one film that out of all the original cast films that we've that you and I have definitely watched the most. Yeah. Probably because <laughs> it was that one video. Um, but I definitely think it was a good induction into the world of Star Trek. And it's the one that I probably go back to the most as well. So Neil, um, where does, what, what's your uh, grounding in terms of how much of a Trekkie are you, I guess is the question. I guess, um... Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've grown to be more and more of a Trekkie as I've, as, as I've got older. Um, my experience was weirdly similar to, to you two. I'm probably about 10 years older than you two. Um, but, um, and I didn't see The Wrath of Khan at the cinema uh, when it came out. And my, my first experience with it was probably on um, VHS. Um, and I'd been watching some of the old Star Treks uh, as they were repeated on, on BBC Two from time to time, but in a similar way, um, a little bit indifferent to them um, at the time. And it wasn't really until The Next Generation started um, that I really got into Star Trek. So I think at that point I'd seen the films up to that point. Um, and I think I, by then I probably had The Wrath of Khan on VHS. Um, either recorded off the TV or maybe even bought, I, I can't remember. Um, but certainly from then on until today, um, my love of Star Trek has, has grown. And, um, and you know, I, I, I embrace it all now. So I've gone back and watched all of the original series and can really appreciate those and love them for, for what they are and all of the feature films and uh, the next generation and the spin-offs and, and, and it continues, which is, the lovely thing about Star Trek is that it continues to to grow and expand and there's, and there's different areas. And, and it's kind of, I suppose, in some ways become the template for, for the way that Star Wars is now doing that as well. Um, so, yeah, I am a, a dyed-in-the-wool trekker. Well, I was, I was going to say, it seems like there are more um, cultured bunch than Star Wars fans. Star Wars fans are very reactive. It's kind of like if you there's the people that grew up with the original trilogy and see it as a sacred text. There's people that grew up as kids and were, um, you know, and found the the prequels. And then there's the new trilogy, and then there's everything in between. So it seems like that Star Wars fans can be an angry bunch. They're they're never satisfied. Um, but enough about Star well, Wars. Star Trek fans can be angry as well. If you if you if you go to the right places or the wrong places, there's plenty of angry Star Trek fans. If you look in the right places, you'll find them. Yeah, but you're right about um, you know the the certainly the sort of next generation, I guess, and the original series. There was a, there was much more of an element of uh, contemplation, of of allegory, um, and and making you think about things. And I I you know I'm not a, I don't have a scientific brain. But I learned a lot of kind of very popular science from watching Star Trek and an interest in those kind of things. I think that's so, for me the big difference between Star Wars and Star Trek is that there are physicists, astrophysicists out, out there who are just like, no, no, the warp, mm -hmm. the warp drive makes sense. You've got, you know, nuclear fission, unlimited energy, 
all the other stuff is built on that. Star Wars is like faith and religion and 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 stuff like that. So I think there's a bit more of sense, and you know, I, I think that's probably what you you, yeah. you cut it down cut it down the middle. But I think what I found watching, I think that's why we had this interest in the next generation when it came along, is that I think everyone would agree, you know, 80s and early 90s. I can't remember when um, Next Generation uh, launched, but up until then, I think. Well, there you go. So yeah, late yeah. 80s. So up, up until that point, we'd all been watching reruns, but they were good enough to keep us. Well, like yeah, yeah, this is good enough. And what I, because uh, I did this crazy thing, because George told me about well, where Khan originates in the episode Space Seed. I never knew this. Yeah. I'd only ever watched Wrath of Khan. So I and and George had told me about that. It was on Netflix, and I had it queued up. I had it downloaded on my phone, um, and I started watching Wrath of Khan completely forgot about it and then there's a bit where Chekhov goes Bodney Bay and I was like and I hit pause I hit pause and then I went back and watched the entirety of the episode you, then you, I went you, back to you had, you had your so own I did this time so I had my own flashback within a flashback within a flashback so yeah. I um but what was funny was that I, so I watched the first I don't know, 10 or 20 minutes of Wrath of Khan, seeing them all, you yeah. know, um, I'm an admiral now, him coming out of the smoke. <laughs> and then I jumped out of it and went and w- went back to see him all, you know, like chiseled in mm. his sort of like, I don't know what this sort of- um, Tunic. <laughs> the tunic thing and like every, everything about the costumes. But what, all I would like to say about what I think Star Trek did for telly was the fact that it was this car, uh, compartmentalized, it's a, it's a set show, was it half an hour? I guess uh, an hour. Episode. I think it was like, oh, was it an hour? But it was about yeah. beginning, middle, and end. I just think, and I think mm. it did so much for TV. It was like, okay, so we're going to need to have some sort of broad runabout and a skimpy type thing. You know, Bill, Bill's got to have some broad to chase or to chastise in some respects. I think I texted George, uh, George when I was watching. Go, Shatner's so sleazy, but you know, it was it was sign of the times. <laughs> Yeah, I guess, I guess, but yeah, yeah, you're right. He, he probably, he probably did have a few moments that we wouldn't um, approve of now. But I think Star Trek did a lot for TV. I think in terms of series, uh, you know, like the fact that people mm. were tuning in each week, like what's the monster? What you know, the fact that um, you know to talk about it more contemporarily, like, I think Mandalorian is kind of aping that a little bit. It's like that's a bit of a Star Trek thing. It's like new, next week there's a new monster that it's carrying the story along a little bit, yeah. but every, yeah. every episode <laughs> is compartmentalized. That's right. I think it's almost come full circle, hasn't it? Where we've gone from Star Trek being a TV series that wanted to be a movie. Um, and, and now the movies, you know, Star Wars wants to be a serialized TV series, which was obviously the inspiration for, for Star Wars in the first place was, you know, Flash Gordon and things like that. But but it's it's interesting how the landscape has changed now, um, you know, where the, the film used to be the coveted area. But now it's, you know, that that uh, streaming box set uh, landscape is is much more popular. But I think to looking at like how franchises are made today, this is probably you could almost say, and I'm leading George into production chat here, but like almost there was Star Trek, the motion picture before this. I can't remember what happened. And I know I've seen it. I think it's Klingons. I'm going to, I'm going to guess. Um, and, but this was kind of, well, where do we go? And let, let's, let's build a franchise, baby. So does that tee you up enough, brother? How, how did we get this film? Obviously, uh, Neil, I'll uh, I'll rely on on your knowledge on this because yeah, I think despite us Charlie and I saying we're like fairly cinematic Star Trek fans, I don't think either of us have seen Star Trek the Motion Picture because many it was so derided. A lot of people say it's so slow and dull and, and boring, and I think it has been 
reappraised in recent years. And I don't know if, he, if it's recently had a director's cut, but it was pretty much it was was it nineteen seventy eight? It was kind of made in a response to to Star Wars, the success of Star Wars, because I think they were trying to relaunch. Yeah. I think a new series originally, and then it was like, oh well, yeah. Star Wars have done a film. Let's 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 do a Star Trek film. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. They were they were in development of, of Star Trek Phase Two, which was effectively going to be a new TV series, um, and it kind of bounced backwards and forwards a few times between being a TV series and being a feature film. Um, but yeah, Star Wars was the catalyst for that uh, for that change to happen, and. Um, and and then obviously we got um, the motion picture. I'm amazed you haven't seen it though. I thought uh, I, thought, I thought you'd have seen it. Some point, uh, it's probably it's one of the things you might have so seen times. bits of it on on telly, but I don't really remember. I just remember yeah being warned at how sort of mm. slow it's and Kling- it is Klingons. It's it is, but it the, is. Well, isn't the, it? Yeah, the Klingons are, are only really in it for the first uh, five minutes. It's more about. Um, this this strange thing that they encounter that's on its way to earth and and why is it on its way to earth and what's it there for um it is it is slower than the wrath of khan you know and, and i think as a kid i was the same that you know i saw it and thought it was a bit boring uh, but I think, like a lot of uh, fans, it's 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 a grower. It's one that over time, um, you know, every time you go back to it, 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 you can appreciate something new. And actually, I saw it at the cinema um, just a few weeks ago, as as uh, when it was released, uh, the director's cut was released, the director's edition. And and it's actually there's there's not the you know it's 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 really well paced, and and it kind of trots along, and there's nothing in there that really shouldn't be in there um but it is a it is a more cerebral film than the wrath of khan you know in some ways it's closer to the tv series than than the wrath of khan but the wrath of khan gives you that kind of much more cinematic outing which i guess is what people were looking for um but it's really it was it was the last throw of the uh the dice really for star trek at that point because um the the motion picture had been such an expensive um movie to make and it and it 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 hadn't really made its money back um so they they gave it the opportunity with wrath of khan to to have another goal um and if if wrath of khan hadn't been successful i don't think we would have the star trek franchise as it exists today we certainly wouldn't have had the next generation i don't think yeah it's it's funny and we'll we'll go on to how influential this film is on on the rest of the star trek franchise but yeah in in terms of apparently the first film uh was made uh on a budget of 46 million and wow. it under it underperformed against and you know for 1978 uh, was it i think it was a very yeah. uh, very high budget it's expensive <laughs> yeah very high budget and paramount uh, blamed the production delays and budget overruns on uh, gene roddenberry's uh, who's the obviously the creator the you know the the main the george lucas of the star trek universe you know he's the main creator uh, his constant meddling and demanding script re- rewrites. So uh, Paramount weren't really happy with how it performed. And when it came round to doing, but they were keen to push ahead with a sequel. And when it came to a sequel, I think Roddenberry did uh, write a draft, but they basically said <laughs> in the most polite way, we we don't really want you involved in this. And I think in yeah. they gave him a uh, I think it was like a creative consultant role where he, where he had minimum creative input, 
And then they passed it over to a TV producer called Harv Bennett because he had experience of making films, TV films, obviously on lower budgets. But he was like completely new to the world of Trek. And his gripe with the motion picture was there was a lack of a real villain. So he he went back and he watched every single episode of the original series for inspiration. And obviously he came across the episode in the first series uh, that Charlie mentioned, Space Seed, where, which is the first appearance of, of Khan Noonan Singh. And it's a self-contained episode, but he thought it's a great villain. Why don't we bring him back? Yeah, it's a perfect uh, setup for a movie, really, isn't it? It's um, really Well, self-contained, yeah, yeah, but you sent yeah. it sent away. Yeah, but it's nice that, in, in, as Charlie did, you can watch the movie without being aware of the original episode but if you are aware of it or you've seen it then it adds another layer to the uh to the film well yeah that i think you know I, we just took it on face value when we watched the film when we were kids but obviously as i've grown up i've you know got more knowledge mm. about the, the more the of series. a nerd and i've become more <laughs> of a nerd um uh, but yeah yeah this was the first time and obviously thank thank god for for streaming that i you know i was on netflix and saw all of Star or the original series of Star Trek was up. I was like, oh great, I can watch, I can check out, you know, can do that research. I can watch the prequel <laughs> to, to Wrath of Khan. So Harv Bennett worked with loads of different script writers uh, with the idea of as Khan as the main villain. And there was, I think there was an idea, he pitched an idea that was like Kirk's son was in it, um, but he was leading a rebellion, but uh, Khan was actually pulling the strings behind it. And nothing was really working. Uh, and then they brought in uh, director and writer Nicholas Meyer or, or as director uh, quite late in the day. Uh, I think he was brought on board because he had, he was, you know, his talented scriptwriter as well as a director and he could help sort of pull it all together and, and bring it into shape. And he did it completely uncredited, which surprised, I think, both the producers and and all the cast. He, he was just, you know, keen to work on it and, and yeah. pulled it all together. And he did it really quickly as well. Yeah, yeah. I, like, I think he did it. He was. They were obviously on a, a tight deadline because they committed mm. to, to doing it. And it was, yeah, they weren't, Paramount weren't happy with the scripts. But from what I can gather from reading into it, the that the stuff that Nicholas Meyer brought on board was a lot more of the naval stuff. So in terms of the uniforms, the terminology, stuff that apparently Gene Roddenberry wasn't particularly happy with because he was more, I think, Neil, again, you know, I'll defer to you on this. His sort of more mission statement with Star Wars is all about that utopia in space, wasn't it? It was all very quite sort of peace loving and they were discovering and they only had to use violence when they had to sort of type thing. Yeah, yeah. So the idea was that um, we'd overcome all of our conflicts as, a, as, a, as the human race. You know, we, we, we no longer had, you know, hunger or racism or, or, or fought wars between, between each other. And we were going out to the stars with this kind of, you know, um, enlightened view of, of who we were. Um, yeah, and obviously in Star Trek Two, it's it's kind of Horatio Hornblower in space. I think that's the way that Nick Meyer describes it, um, and it's bringing in all those kind of naval uh, references, which continue on into uh, into uh, present day uh, Star Trek. And um, yeah, you're right about Gene Roddenberry had this. I think it was something like executive consultant. His his um, he does have uh, a title, and it's one of the it's 
It's, it's, it's placed, it's you know, and and yeah. but it's one of the last titles you mm. see in the title. It's pretty long. Yeah. This was the seventies. Pretty long title sequence, and it's one of the last names. And it is something like executive consultant producer. So it's a weird mm. title. It's an odd one. Yeah, it's a really odd one. But he did. Yeah, you're right. He did kick back and 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 was not happy with some of the changes that were made. And there was certain. There's a there's a weird trivia about there was a no smoking sign on the the Enterprise Bridge, and Gene Roddenberry's view was that you know we were we were beyond that. You know, people wouldn't smoke in the future. Um, whereas I think Nick Meyer was a bit more of a kind of a realist about maybe where we might be. But then you know, um, I guess th- th- now we are at that stage where no vaping. Yeah. but obviously like the yeah so the military uniforms and the in the original 60s show yeah they had the color-coded you know uniforms but yeah in this obviously they've got it's more military-esque um and that would go on like that's a a style choice that would go on throughout the the films and would even inform the, the next generation and and well basically the rest of Star Trek, you know, safe to are say, you, isn't it? Are you talking about the trousers? <laughs> the, the the sock the sock trouser the oh, sock right, trouser yeah. thing that's going on because I want to bring that back. That's uh, a pretty strong. No, the, the, well, there's the ankle boots and everything. Yeah, that's you know. it. Yeah, yeah. There's some there's something going on. I'm drawn drawn is... to the feet. Sorry, go on, Neil. I, I'm just going to say I, I love the um, the kind of tunic top because there's so much action going on. You know, with Kirk and others kind of opening that when they get kind of um, uh, in a moment of uh, stress, they'll 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 pull that over. Open. How serious and is it? Just, 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 <laughs> exactly, his tunic is open. He must be. Uh, he must be stressed or hung over. And uh, and then there's also the the mission gear where he's got he's popped his collar. Shatner has a massive like oh, Elvis yeah. style collar when he's <laughs> when he's on the space station. But we're we're jumping ahead in terms of yeah. You tell me there's more production chat. Well, uh, basically in terms of casting, there's uh, there's a bit of casting uh, trivia. So. Lena Nimoy um, was kind of done with with Star Trek after the motion picture. <laughs> I'm and so done with this. <laughs> I'm sick of wearing these stupid ears and shaving my eyebrows. But yeah, so producer Half Bennett had to convince him to sign on, but he did like you know the Harrison what I'm calling the Harrison Ford contract in Harrison Ford's most recent films. Like, kill can me. you be in the film? We'll kill you off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So yeah, he was persuaded. You know, providing he would have a good death. Um, but apparently Mr. Zulu, George Takai, was uh, he was hesitant to appear in the film and William Shatner had to convince him. And and finally, obviously, this this film was hinging on the fact that Khan was always going to be the villain, but they had failed to check um, Ricardo Montalban's um, availability. And he was currently in the long running TV show Fantasy Island. So he had to do a bit of a, what we would call, Charlie, a Michael J. Fox and work around his TV schedule. And obviously a bit of trivia that many people know that. And obviously in the film, Khan and Kirk never come face to face. It's all done over like video screens and uh, communicators. But they, they never filmed anything together. And I think all of, because of Montalban's schedule for TV, all of his stuff was filmed at the front uh, and then they did everything else separately. Well, that is that's something. I mean, you yeah. point that out, but I, I hadn't noticed that that they're actually not on a scene together because, my jo- I had done this thing where I like stopped the, the stop the stop the film and then did my flashback the, thing. Did my flashback thing, um, and I do have questions about Chekhov. It's like, how does Khan recognize Chekhov? Because Chekhov's not in that. 
He's not in that. He's not. Anyway, I'm not going to pick it apart. Shall we? Uh, have you got more production chat to talk about? Because I think the, if the only thing I was going to say is obviously this was made on a much uh, smaller budget. You know, I say we talked about the motion picture being 46 million. I think Paramount greenlit this film at 10 million. It ended up costing 11. But there's some very creative uh, uses of uh, of sets in this film, and that goes back to what I was saying about the stuff with Khan because it's on to you know uh, Federation starships, and they have effectively used the same set, but they've just moved various bits around so it looks slightly different. So apparently, 65% of this film was shot on the same set. And that also includes uh, the Kobayashi Maru simulator. That's also the same Obviously, bridge yeah, set. Yeah. And they also reused some footage from the very expensive Mosin picture. So when the Enterprise is leaving the space dock and that shot it, uh, the, the footage of the Klingon Birds of Prey in the Kobayashi Maru, that's from the motion picture as well. So it was very efficient cost-cutting exercises to make the film appear bigger than it is. Yeah, I was just going to agree with you, George. Um, it's interesting, you know, having seen the two films, uh, Star Trek 1 and 2, recently at the cinema um, and, and noticing how much um, was reused, you know, so from um, the kind of the, the VFX sequences uh, that you mentioned. Um, and then, the, you know, the, even, even the sets... Um, uh, I don't know. Maybe you you might have looked into this. I, I I'm not 100 percent certain, but it looks like exactly the same bridge set um, from the original. Um, but but you're right. I mean, it's interesting. Obviously, Half Bennett coming from that TV background. Um, I think when you know that there is that sort of slight feel to it of a of a kind of a very big TV movie at times, um, and I don't mean that in a in a disparaging way, but it sometimes it feels a bit like a budget that's been stretched as far as you possibly can take it. I, th I think that's a very valid point to make, Neil, because I think that's where George and I sit with this, in that when we see something like Star Trek, if it's weekly fodder, we're like, meh. If you give us a cinematic piece, you know, like if you give us a two-hour film, we're like, okay, okay, we'll, 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 yeah. we'll hop on this story. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, Star Trek, I, I'm, I'm, I mean, I went to see the, was it 2009? I want to yep. say the first, yeah. So I, and I was like, I want to see this. I want to see this film. They've got a guy who looks mm -hmm. just like Kirk. He's not going to go anywhere. I mean, he's not going to be all over the papers today or anything. Um, no, but I just think I was drawn to it then. I'm always drawn to Star Trek in the cinema. And like, I haven't really watched a lot of Voyager or SG, you know, all, all the other stuff that's been good. I've watched some of it, but I'm being drawn to it like when there's a Star Trek picture out at the cinema, I'm like, I'm going to go and check it out. Mm. And um, But no, all I wanted to tee this up before we get into the film is there is a very big elephant in the room, which I think we should start off this chat about is let's chat the chat. <laughs> William Shatner. I mean, the, the his arrival in this film, shall we? Should we do you want to just start from there? I want smoke. I dried want ice. blue light. I want dried ice. <laughs> backlighting. Yeah, the, 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 the backlighting for so, no reason whatsoever. But I mean, uh, Neil, do you want to talk about like his, his the, the grandiosity of, of him as an actor and Star Trek and separating the two? I mean, that must have had some impact well, yeah. on what Star Trek was able to do. I, I guess I mean obviously you know I think there's 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 been a lot said about uh, William Shatner in in the in the role of Kirk, and and I think he's fantastic. But uh, you know and I think that 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 introduction, um, 
is 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 kind of eighties cinema pop video um, extreme as you can get really, um, and, but it is fantastic. And um, he's I, I I love him in this. I think he's I think he's really good. And and it's interesting that um, he's he's playing a character who's kind of going through a midlife crisis. And I think that was quite brave. The glasses. The glasses, you know, the glasses and, um, you know, him, him being really uh, down because it's his birthday. And I, I actually looked it up because I wasn't quite sure how old he was meant to be. But I think he's meant to be about 49, 50 at the time of, of The Wrath of Khan. Certainly William Shatner was around about that age. So he's going through this kind of midlife crisis. Um, and, I, and, I, and I think actually William Shatner rose to that. You know, when you look at what, how he played Kirk... Uh, in the TV series and the first movie, there's a definite shift in gear in this one, and and I think he adds a lot of layers to to the character of Kirk that that allowed it to kind of grow from there. I think if he was just exactly the same as he was, you know, um, fighting uh, monsters and kissing the girls as he was in the TV series, if he was the same in this, I think um, it probably wouldn't have stood the test of time in the way that it has. Um, so, so you know, I I think he 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 managed to to broaden you know what he what he was doing with Kirk uh, in the movie, which was great to see. Yeah, I think for, I mean for, for me, it's just like was because George and I came across, or I should say, George introduced me to his somewhat singing career when he talks about being a has been, and there's a, there's a oh, he's basic. Are you singing? No, I'm just going to talk. I'm doing um, something, William Shatner. Yeah, yeah. but no, but like, I think there's there's elements of that in this, and like I I, I see um, symmetry with Bond. You know, like that he'd had this role, that he'd been this star, that he'd been this Star Trek was massive, and he'd done the series and. And, and I just think I see a certain sort of maturity and there's a bit of meta stuff going on here with uh, Shatner in this film. And I, th- I think that's why it's such an honest role from he's like, maybe I am a little bit over the hill. What what birthday yeah. is it? You know, it's like so I, I think that really gives some some um, I don't know, just some some power to it. Yeah, I, I think that's something that you. You it obviously goes over your head as watching it as a kid. You watch it, you know, for the special effects, the the terror, the danger, you know, the adventure, what have you. But in this, yeah, there is like huge themes about growing old, about rebirth, about you know the whole Genesis thing. Obviously, revenge. This is one of the reasons why it's it's my probably one of my favorite Star Trek films. Most people would would agree it's probably at the the top is because of you've got so much history with these characters and, you know, seeing them grow, you know, they've grown old together and, you know, the, you know, when bones goes to visit him and brings him the glasses and stuff like that. And it's really, it's guys interacting with each other and it's not essentially advancing the plot, but it's, it feels so genuine. And obviously these guys have known each other for years and it is, it's very natural and it's, it's really engrossing. And, and obviously that's ties into obviously, the ending of the film with you know the whole Kirk and Spock's relationship and it, that really gives it that emotional punch because yeah these guys have have known each other and and worked together for years yeah it really reinforces that that core um trio um that was was what was so good about the original Star Trek and it, it's, it's Kirk uh, Spock and McCoy um as three cantankerous friends um going through life together you know growing and learning and and um and and their friendship deepening and it really does touch into that um in a in a in, as you say in a kind of way that 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 draws out the emotion shall we say yeah 
So I, just, I have a question. So is um, introducing Kirstie Alley, because I think that's her full name, um, is her character in this film called Mr. Savick? Because they yeah, all I, I, keep I, calling her Mr. And I'm like, is she a really hot guy? Mr. Like, Mr. Is she, apparently she, it that's, is Mr. Or is it Master? A, is it no, Master? No, I, think, no, I think it's a naval thing that you, even in Which naval terminology, you know, you, it's Mr. It is, you know, like um, obviously that Simpsons episode, Charlie, you know, will you stop calling me Mr. Mo? All right, um, okay. It is, so a, it is a naval term. Apparently, okay. it's a naval term. That's why, and that, again, that's something uh, Nick Meyer brought in. That's why they're calling him Mister Savick. I was but getting Sa- a bit is gen- a, is, I was is, getting a bit gender curious. She's she's a new character for for the series, right, Neil? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so she was a new character brought in, um, and obviously uh, the first time we saw her, and um, carried on into the next movie, um, but played by somebody different. So, um, um, but yeah, Kirstie Alley's great in this. Um, first time that it's kind of her first big role, I think. George, I don't know if you know any details about that. It's definitely going to be before, be before Cheers, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, I think so. When do we get to talk about Ricardo Montalban? Can we talk about his chest in Spacey? Yes, thank you. <laughs> so, just For like years, he's superhuman, a... but like. <laughs> Is he wearing stuff underneath? So, or so is apparently it this, there, there is was it a room on top. Can I so get the, one of those waistcoats somewhere? There was a rumor going <laughs> round for years that he had a prosthetic chest, uh, but Nick, <laughs> Nick Meyer has gone on on record and said no. That is that is pure Montalban. Wow! And apparently he did. He just did. I do lots of press ups. Lots of press ups. Okay. Yeah. Um, he. I mean Montalban. He is amazing in this he is i mean he's amazing in the original episode and that's one of the things that mm-hmm. i loved about going back and watching the episode for the first time it's like i just get to see more of him devouring dialogue he gives so much more to this film as well the fact that he reveals very early on to um ensign um i don't know what her name is but like Shatner's like, bring the, uh, bring, bring the girl. Bring oh, the, the historian, girl. sexy bring historian, his, Mc, McGivers. Six, who's oh, the, yeah, yeah. McSexy McGivers, bring her. <laughs> um, and it's when he's talking to her, you just see, he's like, I'm going to take the ship. It's like, it's like, I'm a megalomaniac. And I was like, wow. And this is a self-contained episode. And it's basically, they mm. should have put this, you know, this, they, they, it's almost like if they were going to make Wrath of Khan today, they would have, you know what I mean? They would have gone back to that original thing, whereas we're watching them, or I've watched them, you know, separately. It's like, it really does make sense. Like that spacey thing is like, you should really advise, it's like, if you're watching this, like even if you, say you buy Wrath of Khan today on DVD, that should, that spacey, spacey it should be a special should, edition. should be on the DVD. It's yeah. like, it, it adds so much to it. Yeah, and I don't think it ever has been, which is crazy. It's because uh, I, I thought that, you know, it, it, it should, they should be bundled together and you should be able to do either what you've done, your kind of crazy way, Charlie, of, of pausing it and rewinding it. A bit of a maverick <laughs> hit pause. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Or, or watch it kind of in the, the correct order. But yeah, as far as I'm aware, and certainly in the UK, I'm not aware of a, of them releasing them together. There's probably some contractual reason why. But yeah. I mean, just just on that point, and I and I won't I won't break this too much. But like, obviously, you know, we've been bombarded by Marvel and like DC are trying to, you know, they're 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 releasing. They've got a bunch of films coming out. 
I couldn't help think, you know, I was like watching, you know, it's a training exercise. It's like, oh, I'm just an emerald. How, how, how are you possibly going to get me onto the Enterprise? It's just a training exercise. Oh, okay, let's just take her out. It's like, oh my God, plot kicks off. And there's like, I don't know, I was just getting serious vibes of this could so easily be, like, I feel like so many modern day Marvel films have borrowed from this type of trope, this type of thing. And yes, the graphics are different. Yes, it's dated, but it could just as easily be a Marvel Guardians type. Do you know what I mean? It could be that sort of yeah. film yeah. today. Yeah, well, the, 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 also the fact that they've all spent a bit of time together. They've all got history. There's a history with a bad guy. Do you know what I mean? It's like, and they're building a franchise. They're doing a Genesis thing at the end. It's, it's, I don't know. This was way back. And I'm just saying what, what's interesting is they're still trying to do it today, just much more industrially. Well, if you think about it, you know, like we are in, you know, something you and I have chatted about, Charlie, in the past. We are very much in the age of the the legacy sequel, the, the you know, the mining of nostalgia. And, and obviously this podcast is mining nostalgia as well. But, you know, if you look at all these sequels that are coming out, you know, Star, um, you know, Star Wars, Force Awakens. Whatever. It, Star uh, Wars, whatever. <laughs> Ghostbusters Afterlife, Terminator. What was it? Um, Dark Fate. Top Gun. It's all about, hey, remember this thing you loved from 10, 15 years ago? We're bringing it back and we're going to completely reference it. This is what Rath Khan was doing 40 years ago. Remember this episode from 15 years ago? That it's was back. really cool. Yeah, it's back. But yeah. now in cinematic film form. And it's bringing but, back, you know, obviously the, the motion picture did it first. But remember the crew from, you know, 10 years ago? We've brought them back. And it was its own sort of kind of legacy sequel in a way sorry i was just going to say i think what it what it did really really well was it it did do all of that but it but it actually worked as a film for people who had never seen star trek before and that's why it's been so successful i think i think if it had because we we can point to hundreds of films that have pandered to that kind of nostalgia uh hit and and have not been uh, successful, whereas I think this is because it it it, it stands alone as a, as a good film in an, in and of itself. It, it you know, regardless of whether you like Star Trek, and it doesn't yeah. waste time on canon. It does. Well, it doesn't, you don't. Have, it doesn't assume that you have to know anything about what's happened before. No, there's some very efficient yeah. exposition from Chekhov saying, "I remember you," and like basically, yeah, between mm -hmm. the two of them, within. I don't know, two minutes, it's like, this is what happened. This is why, you know, oh, Khan, you know, he's a super superhuman. We banished him to this planet. This planet was healthy. No, it, no, it was healthy, but it's not now. We always talk about, uh, Charlie and I always talk about economic exposition, getting the plot out the way. And that, as you say, Neil, it sets it up brilliantly, you know. Well, and I think that's that, you know, it speaks for itself the fact that Charlie and I have only watched the original episode for the first time now. And obviously we've got so much more enjoyment out of it, but yeah. it, the, the film works, you know, but on its own merits, you know, it works on its yeah. own two feet. I'm sure there's, there's lots of people who have only, only just seen that movie and haven't seen any other bit of Star Trek, but speaking about exposition, you just remind me there that that sequence where um, Khan is um, about to, to interrogate and torture Chekhov, um, he's he's giving out big chunks of exposition there, but it's done so well because because we're actually terrified knowing something 
really bad is about to happen to one of the main characters but he's giving out all this backstory at the same time and, and that i just thought that was so well done um because you just don't you're not aware of it on a on a kind of info dump level um it just feels like it's it's him recounting this these terrible events that happened to him and and that, and that kind of reinforces the fact that he's about to inflict pain on on these characters so now we have to talk about the space slugs now obviously obviously you know there, there's certain things that you sort of remember terrifying you from a childhood and i think you know um people of a certain age they have there's certain triggers and one of them is is the woman the robot woman from superman 3 you know that still terrifies a lot of people still terrifies me and for me number 2 is is the the space slugs i don't know if they what they have a more official terminology but even watching it back last night i was just like oh oh i mean it's you know it's really good yeah. you know animatronics and what have you but it, and it, as you say charlie it's the sound design like, oh, and then again I'm you still have still squeamish i was squeamish and, and you have yeah today, khan, you know? khan monologuing as he's doing it you know these are the things <laughs> that killed my crew my wife and but yeah. they will make you highly suggestible yeah, I mean, I, I, I am the brings, highly suggestible type. We're, we're, we're talking about the space things, but it's just like, I, it's like, let's look at it on another level. It's like, I've captured you. You're going to do exactly what I want when I want. And what's weird is the fact that, like, the space slugs, it's like, you're like, oh, yeah, you're going to put them in their ears, then they're going to let you. And that's how you got the ship. But it actually goes so much further because, like, in, I think it's like at the end of Act Two or Act Three, it's like, Chekhov's like double crossing the enterprise and it's like it's no it's not me it's the thing in my ear it's like well, well, that's it's, a it's, a, it's quite a long long-term thing it's yeah. like is it like is he controlling them remotely <laughs> well no that's that's what i thought was hilarious joe and i texted you because obviously the the other uh film that charlie and i have a lot of love for um, and especially for ricardo montaban is naked the the first naked gun movie and obviously in that he's got the 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 brainwashed assassins and i was thinking that part with um the admiral from um you know the the, the other guy with Chekhov, uh, paul winfield when he's like oh, yeah. no i must kill you kirk i, I must like, kill I myself must, <laughs> i must kill the queen it's like it's, yeah. the, it's the same thing he's i must kill frank drebin but yeah as you say it's um it's a great plot device those things are awful still make me squeamish yeah, I still love the giant Chekhov's ear with the jam. Oh yes, that, that's that's one thing you notice, yeah. like with 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 modern eyes of that's just a giant ear, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that that nobody's got yeah, an ear that big. Right. I read, <laughs> I read. I don't know if this is is true, but I read uh, on IMDb trivia that obviously they they created this huge ear for that shot. And then when they came back the next day, I think someone in the like uh, prop department had made a massive like earbud next to the ear. <laughs> but I think uh, just just to finish off this part of the conversation is why I mean maybe I need to maybe there's you're, you're talking about Fancy Island, but I'm like, why isn't there more Ricardo Montalban in my life? You know, like I feel like I've seen him in Police Squad, I've seen him in this, and like he you've got to give it. You know, you've seen uh, we've seen uh, you know William Shatner monologuing. You know, you watch stuff with Sean Connery and, and you know, it's like and, and it's like the Richard Bird, it, proper thesps. And like Montalban comes across like that. And he's like, maybe he's I, and I'm, I guess what you're probably going to tell me, George, is that he has a very established career in Latin speaking countries or something. You know, maybe, maybe yeah, he uh, was. 
I, I honestly, well, I, I should have really done done my homework, but I don't really know much about Montalban. I think it is. All I've got like, here is just a list of all I've got is stills of of uh, the naked gun. <laughs> all I've got is just pictures of his chest. Um, must no, um, kill Papschmir. Uh, but no, I think it's it's similar. It goes back to what we were chatting about um, on a previous episode, Charlie, about you know Frank Langella. I think yeah, I think R- Ricardo Montalban is. Probably cut his teeth in the in the fifties in stuff like westerns and and quite big and on like, TV, yeah, yeah. But is like, uh, and I think it was even uh, the guy who plays Scotty James Doonan was just like, he was like, he he should have been nominated for an Oscar for for Khan because it is that like, like he takes it so seriously and it's just at that right peak of he's devouring the dialogue, but it's not. Two OTT. It's well, he's it's... got a reason for it. And yeah. like, if you've watched Space Seed, as I had done halfway through watching Wrath of Khan, you get why he's like, No, I'm gonna chase him. I'm gonna, and I think that's why I, I really needed when George told me there was this episode, I needed to watch because that's the only thing that's been like at the back of my mind. It's like, I never really got why they hated, hated each other so much when we watched mm-hmm. when we were younger. I was just traumatized by the um, space slugs. But like, that's why you really need to watch Space Seed and see that like, not only did he uh, come up against Kirk and Kirk beat him, but Kirk was like, yeah, I'm not even gonna send you to prison and kill you. I'm just gonna send you this, 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 um, I'm gonna send you this remote planet, you'll be fine. And then we're back there. And yeah. it's like, so a powerful story, very good. Uh, the guys you're talking about earlier on in the podcast, the guy who's gone back and watched all of the originals. To yeah, yeah, half Bennett. Very visionary for me. Uh, I've just pulled up Ricardo Montalban's Wikipedia and I've just realized he's also in two of the Planet of the Apes films. So I'm going to have to go back and watch That's those. Right, yeah. in. Which ones? Yeah. He's, he's Which in ones? Escape from the, the Planet of the Apes two. and Conquest. The, yeah, it's the, the, yeah. the latter. Yeah. Are those the, good ones? Are those good ones? They're the ones they where get... the, the Planet of the Apes films, they get cheaper and cheaper as, as they go on. But, but they, they were using real monkeys by the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Real, real monkeys are far too expensive, Charlie, but cheap masks. They're, they're even better. Uh, I haven't seen, uh, I don't think I've seen either Escape or conquest but i think is is conquest the good one neil is that they do get that's one i've heard about that's one i've heard about is i can't i can't remember which one is which but there's uh one of them is where um it's set in the near future um and it's it's a it's a kind of dystopian-esque uh you know handmaid's tale-esque type future but i think that am i right in thinking that there's a plague where all the pets the dogs and cats have been killed so people then bring in apes as pets stroke servants it's a circular thing so escape is when the pl- yeah. the apes arrive travel back in time for some reason they repair the ship mm-hmm. they appear back in present day or at least like fairly present day and then that starts off the chain from there and then i think conquest is the film afterwards with caesar their son the, the uh, yeah. cornelius's uh, son and he's taken in by ricardo montalban yeah. Just more. There's something to do with the circus. Yes. If I remember right. Yes. The Montalban yeah. Montalban circus. No, but what a great great actor. And yeah, even at the end where like they're they're all being blown about the ship and he's like covered in blood and he's like, it's it's a performance. And I think that's what a lot of films are made out. We talked. I'd like got to give Shatner some credit. 
after watching the the mm. you know the seventy show and seeing he's a very different person in this film. Then and it shows a certain maturity. And they're all they're all like you know you got Michelle uh, Nichols, you've got you know Bones, you've got uh, Lenny and Nemo. They're, they're all like turning up like yeah here, but it's like it's funny when George said to me, yeah, there's, they're not actually in a scene together. The fact that passed me by, I think, says yeah. a lot about the fact that we're having this two way on the you know on the on the communicators. Mm. It shows how much they sold that. We talked about the majority of Die Hard, you know, the banter between John McClane and Hans Gruber is a lot of it is over walkie talkie and Bill Clay. And that's why they have to introduce the (laughs) Bill Clay scene. So they have a bit more screen time together because they realise when they're filming, it's like, hang on, these guys don't really meet until the end. But that's exactly what you would do if if this was remade now, um, it was using a very similar template. You would definitely have Kirk and Khan meeting at the end and having some kind of physical fight um, or something just before the Genesis weapon is de- is deployed. You would definitely have those two in the same room. Well, I think there was there there are scripts that flying punches, around. Futuristic punches. Well, no, no, they're, 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 yeah, they're, <laughs> no, it's uh, a futuristic punch. Futuristic punch, <laughs> uh, the, the double hander. I uh, know there there is scripts. I've read that there, you know, there's early scripts. So I think where there was going to be like a twelve-page confrontation, face-to-face confrontation with Khan and Kirk. There was mm-hmm. a, apparently going to be a sword fight, and obviously they've. The script went through loads of different revisions, and I think, yeah, what they were like, we've based this all around Khan, but we can only get Khan for so for so long. Again, it j- jumps into that. Mm. Okay, we need to be smart about this. How do we work around it? So yes, I, I, I think, think it's better for it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's um, there's the, the thing. I, I yeah, again, I forgot about. There's a lot of great tension in this uh, in this film. Yeah, there's a lot of scares there's a lot of violence that uh, which w- i think is strange for star trek you don't really associate mm. too much violence with star trek no i guess not in the in, in the degree that, that that it's in in here certainly there's there's kind of a few kind of almost touching into horror tropes you know where they're exploring the um the station and there's there's the hanging bodies um yeah yeah and then Khan at the end you know when he's he's kind of burnt and disfigured um, it's it's quite quite it's almost touching on that slightly gory esque um, end of the spectrum, isn't it? Um, Charlie, I, I don't know if you noticed. Uh, I liked Khan's uh, Michael Jackson one glove. He takes the glove off at the start, but he keeps one on for the rest of the film. I did want to talk about those gloves because they're pretty fucking cool gloves. They're pretty like, bling, like, they're, like like metal. Better, and I'm sorry, but better than Jacko. But then I was like, I think I. I th- I almost wanted, I was like doing, why, why aren't I watching this? Somebody else said, he's still wearing a glove. He's still he's, wearing, he's, he's still got, got, he's, got he's the got one glove on. on. And it's like, you don't know, I might need it. I might need it or I might need to make points. But they're like, because the, he's like, you know, he takes them off when he first arrives. So there's a lot of... Um, no, he just takes one off, Charlie, just to show he means business, but then he keeps the other one on. Um, He's going to go deep and hard. No, uh, I think... The, the crazy thing is, is that, you know, we're talking about, like, how would this film be made today? George, is that a good segue in to talk about suspicious spin-offs? Considering well, the, this the only thing I think has should, been remade or I think we should before we move on to suspicious spin-offs, we should talk about um, the death of Spock. Spock dies in this? No, no, I'm paying, I'm joking. No, I, I was paying attention. I was paying attention. So, so, um, so yeah, as I say, um, Leonard Nimoy signed on because they promised they would kill him off. And Neil, you and I chatted about this off 
off microphone a a while back and this was kind of in the this is kind of leaked out didn't it It was on the rumor mill wasn't it when this film was in production that well back in the day yeah even yeah, pre-internet. Even, ba- even back then. Wow. <laughs> they were strapped to pigeons and thrown at people's windows. Um, <laughs> yeah, just Nimoy dies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was. There, there was, um, you know, I remember there, there being kind of... Uh, rumors about you know that uh, spock's gonna die spock's gonna die um and and i did wonder whether that was why we had that sequence at the beginning where the the kobayashi maru where we we see spock die because it kind of it 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 pulls the rug out slightly from you if you're watching at the cinema and you don't know where it's going to go um that you're like oh right spock has died oh no he hasn't they're just in a simulator um that maybe it lulls you slightly that's the thing i picked up on watching it this time like you've seen it so many times like they're just in a in a test and they're really you know and i think someone even says oh that's some good acting but they're really going for it like throwing themselves on the oh, floor yeah. like oh no it's like winky murder <laughs> oh, yeah, they're, yeah, they're, they're properly going for it but yeah so, yeah so from what yeah i can gather that because they're that i kind of leaked that's that's kind of like a red herring to to fool you but from reading into it, they also sort of had to pull it back a bit. So I think originally, and I think from what I can tell, this is what Nick Meyer wanted was to, to it was going to be definite. He was going to properly kill off Spock. And I that's think right. that's what yeah. Leonard Nimoy wanted. But then as they were filming, Leonard Nimoy was like, you know what, I've, I've had fun on this. I, I could do more. And the backlash mm. they were getting, I think, from test screenings and, and rumor mill, he well, can't people, die. Well, yeah, people were saying, well, you can't kill him off. And then they were like, okay, let's let's start seeding that it's not final death. And that last shot of the torpedo coffin Boop. in the woods Boop. was a pickup Boop. shot that was done Boop. very, like, was a reshoot. Essentially, that was filmed in San Francisco After Park. test screenings. That yeah. makes more sense now. Yeah. 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 Um, and yeah, and I think even the, the... the bit with remember that was a, right, a, yeah. A, yeah. a pickup shot as well. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. And, and yeah, Nick Meyer didn't want those pieces in. He wanted a much more absolute ending. But but I think he's acknowledged in in recent years that that, that the audience needed some that that glimmer of hope to to leave on a, a more satisfying. Um, end as they left the cinema um, and it does, it gives you, you know it, it leaves the door open and obviously they did then kick the door open for the next uh, film but um, it gives you the sense that that maybe not all is lost Well it it obviously kicks off, it's a, it's a mini trilogy in, in this in the Absolutely. series isn't it, so you've got you've got yeah. this, the, the search for Spock and then is it the voyage home? That's right, yeah yeah. yeah. So and yeah I they do the, the work as a nice trilogy of films yeah, and I think the search for Spock was another Betamax. I think that was the third Betamax. <laughs> I definitely watched the the search for Spock. I've definitely definitely watched that before. Well, I I rewatched that fairly recently, but yeah, I I, I joked with with they get uh, it with Neil, uh, and uh, I I think it's it's a long running joke with with people. The search for Spock is where you left him. <laughs> it's like <laughs> where is left- he? He's pretty much where you left him. <laughs> Why yeah. did you make a whole film? No. He's there. You left him on Genesis. But yeah, now I rewatched that recently thinking, oh, this is a good continuation of the story, but it's no Wrath of Khan. But I haven't watched, and again, I remember, I have fond memories, Charlie, of you and me watching 
the one set in with the whales and set in present day San Francisco for time travel reasons. We love not, that one. Is that not the, budget not reasons? Six. Is that four? That's, That's four. four. Yeah, it's four. And then still got the frilly yeah. collars and bones. Saying I'm getting too old for this. Has, hasn't um, uh, Spock's got a, a nifty little headband? Yeah, no, I enjoy that right. one because they go back yeah. to present day. Yeah, yeah. I, I need to re-watch, rewatch that one because I remember we used to have a lot of fun watching that. Uh, but but um, Kirk still has a local present day Philly to chase. It's like, well, I think it's probably in, in Bill Shatner's. It's so, I mean, she's in like contract. in a fit. She, she's like in a fit. Out of the 24th century. Yeah, yeah no, but I, she's, she's like you know she's a, she's a yummy mummy cougar, but it's like I gotta have a piece of ass to chase around. <laughs> well, it's even in uh, my 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 second favorite Star Trek film is another the other one that's directed by Nick Meyer is uh, Six: The Undiscovered Country. I haven't seen this one. Is that one yeah. the one with the furry creatures at the end? I haven't seen that one. No, it's it, it's all about the Klingons. It's it's probably the best Klingon yeah. one. He like Kirk gets framed and it's he's put on trial. And gets it's it's a great I uh, it's, it's probably yeah I'd say it's my my second favorite but it's a great film if you, if you do enjoy Ratha Khan it is worth checking out. I think and out of the obviously I own the the newer ones the JJ Abram ones I've got them on on Blu-ray but out of the original films I've got Wrath of Khan and Undiscovered Country but is there any anything else we want to chat about in the film in general or should we move on to I think very, very briefly, we should give a little nod to um, Pixar for their contribution to um, to the Wrath of Khan, because this was a bit of a pivotal moment for them, and and this is the the, the Genesis device infographic sequence that they they did, um, which you know was was huge at the time. It was a real step forward in in computer animation and computer graphics. It's first use of CGI in a major motion picture. So yeah, it's a. I'm guessing. Uh, did a certain film studio company take it for their logo, like Universal, perhaps? No. Uh. Well, what's the one made... that burns over? It bur the the sunrise comes over the. Earth. I'm sorry. You, suppose... you go on, Neil. You go. It for me. This reeks of like '90s, early '90s Universal logo, uh, multimedia play. But Neil, you go. Explain what what Pixar did. Well, yeah, basically, uh, Pixar were a very, you know, fledgling company at that point. This is before they did Toy Story and, and all the films that we, we know and love them for. And this was, um, they were kind of a spin-off from, from ILM, George Lucas's VFX company. And um, their job on the film was to do this little explainer video, basically. I think it's about... 90 seconds or a minute of, of of animation to show the genesis effect you know if, if this weapon is uh, not weapon but if this is used on a planet this is what would happen it was you know one of the the, the first large sequences of, of computer animation used in a film um it still stands up today i think from a kind of cinematic direction point of view it, it helped pixar to kind of up their game and and obviously from there they've 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 had one or two successes since then with uh, a few small films it's a moment in cinematic film history that um that is of importance i think no absolutely and we, we wouldn't be disney would not be where it is today owning all of our childhood memories <laughs> that's right <laughs> what one thing uh, i know this is something that you usually pick up charlie so i've got some box office figures uh in its opening weekend and at the time it had um it opened with 14.3 million which at the time was the largest opening weekend gross in history 
it would go on to grow 79 million in the States, 97 million worldwide. I think that was still less than the motion picture, but obviously because it was made at a fraction of the cost, it was more profitable. But but listen to this. So it was the sixth highest grossing film of 1982. Um, Poltergeist was released on the same day. E.T. was released the following weekend. The Thing, Blade Runner, uh, wow. was released two weeks later. And then uh, a week after that, Tron was released. So... My God. <laughs> that is, Spoiled. That's that 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 quite, quite a lot of films. It's, it's quite amusing. I think The Thing and Blade Runner obviously, well, were deemed flops at the time. That, uh, and that's, I don't know how how Tron was received on release, but I know, yeah, definitely The Thing and Blade would, Runner definitely underperformed. I would argue that even things like Poltergeist, these were video successes. They were, they weren't. I mean, how well does a horror film do at the cinema? Like, I just remember like Poltergeist was, it, this uh, not just these films, but this was the age of video. This yeah. is when video was like going nuts. Was, this is when people started going, yeah, maybe I'll go to the cinema. Or I'll just watch on video. You know, it, it was it was very much very very much that era. But yeah, spoiled, <laughs> definitely spoiled. So is is now a good time to talk about suspicious spin-offs because there has been a spin-off of this film. There's obviously been countless franchise incarnations of Star Trek, but there has been a very recent suspicious, not suspicious, very blatant spin-off of. The Wrath of Khan has there not? Yes. So obviously, there's the uh, what is known to mainly to Star Trek fans is the Kelvin timeline or the, the reboot, the J.J. Abrams films, with obviously the original Star Trek, Star Trek Eleven, in two thousand nine, successful reboot, and then it took them a few years to and um, scheduling and stuff like that. Star Trek Into Darkness is even though they denied it for months and months and months, and even you had Benedict Cumberbatch denying it in interviews and lots of smoke and mirrors, it is, yes, effectively, a well, it's kind of a remake, but it's it's basically featuring Khan as the villain. But, but is he? Well, yeah, it's, it, what was he, John, John Anderson or something? And then he's revealed to be Khan, but obviously in in that reboot universe... It, he has no it has no meaning and it doesn't mean anything to the characters he's like mm. my name is khan and seems like fan service and well that's it it's complete fan service Pretty and to the modern movie. audiences unless yeah. you know your star trek law they're they're not going to know what that means and it's but look at me non-trekky when that happened in the film i was like you're not khan you're not multiband you know you haven't got was... your chest out Where's your hair? Where where's your where's your where's, where's your mullet? <laughs> where's your snakeskin mullet, you know, two-piece thing going on? Why where 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 all the people around you who are all barely dressed, you know? Like, well, that's I I kind of like how, how am I gonna get aroused? You know, you just wearing I, like a black jumper. Well, interestingly, because originally Benicio del Toro was in talks for the role of the villain in Star Trek II, and I was just like, a true assassin. And I was like, that's bla it's blatantly going to be Khan. And then they're like, oh no, we've got Benedict Cumberbatch. I was like, okay, maybe it isn't Khan. But that was it. If they'd kept with Benicio del Toro, I'll be like, yeah, it's 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 totally him. Like, I can understand it. Latin speaking, yeah, it works. But the other thing that doesn't work about Star Trek Into Darkness, and I think Star like we talked about that, you know. Rath What's Khan going is, on? Well, Wrath of Khan <laughs> is, is generally the most beloved of the Star Trek films. 
And I think in a recent poll, Star Trek Into Darkness is the least favorite Star Trek films. I think it even finished below, I think even Galaxy Quest was was voted higher as a Star Trek <laughs> film, which isn't even in a Star Trek film. But um, it's got Alan Rickman, Scorny Weaver. Uh, that, that is a great film. We, uh, we need yeah. to cover that. Yeah. We point. are going to cover that. Yeah. But the thing that annoys me about uh, Star Trek Into Darkness is they they flip the the sacrifice. So it's Kirk sacrificing himself. And then Kirk the survives. Uh, 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 but so he then, doesn't really sacrifice himself. Yeah. Uh, and, and they haven't earned it. It's a bit like, yeah. uh, again, going off on a tangent, it's a bit like, spoilers, um, Batman versus Superman, killing off Superman in that film, it's like, you've had two films, you haven't earned it. Whereas mm. we've already talked about Ratha Khan, you already have, these guys have been in, you know, hours and hours of series. You've got well, 15 years of, of history of backstory and it means so much, you've built it up and that's why it's so touching and it's, and it's delivered so well. Whereas it just, it feels like a bit of a cheap payoff in Star Trek Into Darkness. And as you say, Charlie, five, ten minutes, there, there isn't any ambiguity. It's like five, ten minutes later, oh, uh, no Kirk's alive, we've got magic blood, it's fine. It's in the future, it's in the future. There's no risk, there's no reward. Yeah, I think it's a good example of what we were talking about earlier about nostalgia done badly. Um, they just they, 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 they picked all of the, almost like a greatest hits of, of what made the Wrath of Khan good, but then didn't seem, or didn't demonstrate that they understood what was underneath all of that. You know, and 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 the reasons why those choices were made in the first place, and you just end up yeah with a with a film that just leaves a bad taste in your in your mouth afterwards. Well, I think we, I mean, just to talk about uh, you know where cinema is now, where it was then. Uh, George shared with me recently a very interesting um, response from Matt Damon talking about how DVDs really saved a lot of creativity in filmmaking during the nineties and noughties. Because it was like we'll take a punt because if it's so, so we'll make it up in DVD. And what's happened is they've lost that now. And it's like, we'll take a punt, but we can only guesstimate based on ticket sales at cinema. We've got mm -hmm. no backup. Which, so like they've got also, so it's what you've obviously everyone's hearing permeating out of Hollywood and whatever. It's like, it's bean counters. It's the financial we going mm, brand recognition, safe what do the people want like what do what does our data tell us that the audience wants whereas we were lucky enough to experience these times it's like let's go make a movie let's get bill shatner mm. let's get you know let's get you know ricardo Montalban, and let's just you know let's create a story that brings that episode you know people were taking risks and i just don't think they are as much today which is a shame so and i think into darkness is that it's like which is ironic because they started strong with Star Trek 2009, whatever you want to call it, Star Trek 11. I enjoyed that film. I liked what they did. I thought it was clever. Mm. Um, and then they were like, yeah, so how do we build a... Is that what well, they just went back to the, the well of... It was well, weird. It was weird to start fresh and then go back. It was almost like they were having this fight with the fans. Yeah. Maybe, I th they, I th maybe I th they were. Maybe they were. No, I think that was a film that was made, even though it was like... By a committee. Of, a bit of a gap. Yeah, it was made by committee. It was a bit rushed when they actually got round to it. Um, and I think it was you, Charlie, that said one of your friends described it as like it's J.J. Abrams' audition reel for, I can do Star Wars. <laughs> it was, it was, no, that was the second film. When I yeah. watched it with uh, Guillaume, he was like, it's just Star Wars. 
he, he said to me, like, he hadn't even watched the first one. because so I was like, I'm going to watch this film. Do you want to watch? And he was like, I was around at his. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, have you seen the first one? He was like, no. So we just watched it. And um, and he was like, this is just Empire Strikes Back. It's like to him, same age as us, yeah. you know, same generation. He was like, hadn't even watched the first one. He was like, this is just Star Wars. And yeah. it was like, it's like, it's a, just a, here's, here's my portfolio. Can I do it? So so let's let's jump into uh, what what we're going to pitch as our own suspicious spin-off to Rathacon. So uh, Neil, as you as you're the guest, do you is there anything you'd like to spin off from from this this film or or, or you know obviously um, that you've got the whole sort of Star Wars canon, but is there anything you'd like to spin off from this? They missed an opportunity with um, you know they've got the Genesis planet um at the end of, of star trek 2 and they've dumped spock down there but but what about all the other people who died on board uh the enterprise in the battle could they have chucked all of them down there and then we could have this kind of genesis zombie colony going on where they all come back to life but they don't have any souls in them and then we do a, a kind of um a comedy zombie star trek set on a um, a dying planet I think um, I think we would th- that would have made an absolute fortune um, because it's such a brilliant idea. Um, the uh, there was a, there was a, a suggested um, Nick Meyer himself actually had a um, a spin off that he wanted to do, which was set before in between Space Seed and um, the Wrath of Khan, which is all about um, Khan's exile on Seti Alpha Five. Um, uh, which was going to be like a TV series. I think that was the plan originally. And I think now it's kind of coming back possibly as kind of an audio audio drama or an audio book. Um, so I think that might still... Oh, yeah, um, I think I read... I was going to say that was going to be my spin-off, but it was it was much more cost-effective. It was just going to be Khan in his cabin reading Moby Dick, just aloud. <laughs> no, no, Could let's get exact. Well. It was just going to be... It wasn't Khan. It was going to be... Ricardo Montalban. <laughs> Let's with, get specific. With the glove, with the, Charlie. One with the, glove. With the one glove. And now we what get about, into um, chapter 17. What about Khan doing kind of um, uh, uh, body and makeup um, YouTube channel type thing where he talks about the best kind of product to keep hairs off your chest and, um, you know, styling of your hair and things like that? Workout, workout ratio. Yeah, you've seen those guys yeah. on TikTok, they workout don't know what show. they're talking about. I'm here, I'm on my own planet, got go. nothing, and I'm just going to bench. Just going <laughs> to bench. Just doing bench press. Yeah, mm-hmm. love it. These are my five top air fryer recipes for space lugs. Perfect. Yeah, no, I think I think for, for me, the, the spin off that I always thought was weird about. Uh, if we're, go- we're going into the search for Spock territory, which was a spin-off from this film. So like they've basically a nuclear bomb that is life is yeah. probably the way to describe Genesis. Um, and the, the, the coffin of Spock is sitting there. Fair enough. We talked about it earlier. It's post it's uh, it's probably after audience reaction. It's there. And it's like sequel is coming. Sequel is coming. So we're meant to believe that like Genesis kicks off. Just, just rips off all of the packaging. Oh, Spock's here. They make a new Spock. Yeah. Uh, my spinoff is that what they didn't realize was that then the planet made loads of Spocks. Uh-huh. Like there's an entire planet of Spock. Planet of Spock. And so it would obviously be Star Trek, planet Spock. Uh, and, and, so be, and, and they're all one really logical. Spock, part torpedo, maybe. 
Well, pop, pop, cop, pop, pop, coffin torpedo. Yeah, no, that's that. That no, we'll talk about that later. No, my idea was that what would happen with an entire planet of logical Spocks? When would they break? Because like, if they're all logical and rational, no emotions, there's never going to be a, any fighting. But if there was fighting, it would be fucking epic. So that's would watch. That, would watch. Yeah, I mean Spock, or maybe it's Star Trek Spock v Spock. Yeah. That would be good. Yeah, because he's half human anyway, so so some of them could be very emotional and some of them are very logical. Yeah, and um, and it's a big old battle. They, I think that's one thing you've got to give to the, the, the Hammer at Home in the more recent, the fact that maybe, Neil, you can tell us, is it true that in the recent Star Treks, his mum was human or, or he's half human? Or has that always been? Has that always been the case? That's always been the case, yeah. So he's always been half human, and that's kind of always been his his battle is to uh, balance the two the two halves, and that's that's where we find him in the motion picture. Actually, is that he's trying to come to terms with his his human half. Um, so that's always been part of the character, um, and he's always had a human mum and a Vulcan dad. Um, so yeah, that's always given him that kind of. Uh, you know levels of character that that he can play with really so it's it makes him quite an interesting an interesting character oh no absolutely it just they seem to dodge it a few times in this because like the shatner has a few jibes at him well but uh, charlie because i'm human out of like out of of all of the souls i knew he was the most human yeah um just, just more shatner please like uh i come from a generation that didn't have tj hooker they didn't have Star Trek on all of the time and people make fun of him and stuff. But like looking back from a generation that separated from him, what a character. Like what when like George, I remember George and I enjoying his um his album of just him talking over well, there's, uh Mr. Well, Tambourine Man. Well, Charlie, uh, you, you 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 bought me, I think, for Christmas. I was spoilt. I got spaced out, which is the very best of Leonard Nimoy and William Shatner. So you get Mr. Tambourine Man, you get the Bill, the Ballad of Bilbo Baggins by uh, Leonard Nimoy. Oh, yeah. Um, but you also bought me, yeah, his... Um, I think the recent, other one was on CD. Recent the other one, one was CD, which was yeah. Has Been, where with um, the the infamous, or should be infamous, uh, William Shatner cover of Common People. I want to sleep yes. with common people like you. But it's like we've got it. We've got it on record forever, and I think he is. He is a treasure. I think he is. It's like you don't get to to make that many films and to do what he's done. And yeah. I I think if you look at what fame can do to people, I think he rode the wave pretty well. I I, th- I think he did. I think because he was he was interstellar. You know, to to use the pun, considering we're talking about Star Trek, this guy was. He had all this, and and I had this thing where I watched space scenes like. Oh my God, so dashing. So, you know, like any mm. of the Chris's from the recent Marvel films, it's like, yep, yep, ticks all the boxes. Yeah. And then you've got, it's like, I'm wearing, I'm wearing glasses now. Sorry, what were you going to say, Neil? I was just going to say he's willing. He was willing to send himself up. If you look at um, Airplane Two, you know he's he's willing to, to you know he he's, he knows what it what what the character is, and he's willing to to play on that. No tower. Well, it's, it's even got the, uh, the the same the same prop with the blinking red lights. He's like, "What the hell does this they're thing do?" They're flashing and they're blinking, and, and, and it's it's the same prop. Um, That's right. But you know, another one, Neil. I'm not sure. Have you seen the National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon? 
I think I might have. I can't remember uh, much about it if I have. So um, yeah, it's, it's it's obviously it's a spoof of Lethal Weapon and all the sort of nineties mm. cop movies. But, Lethal Weapon and Beverly Hills Cop. Uh, but William Shatner's the the villain in that General Mortars, and he's brilliant in it. He is like he's going f- like fully into it. He's a great comedic actor. You can see he's got the timing, he's got it all down, and he's having fun. And this is what I keep saying is that you throw somebody into Hollywood and they come really big, you see what comes out the other side. Respect to Shatner. And there is a, there is a documentary somewhere. What was the one he did in the last five years, George? I told you about this. There's, there's a, I didn't, I'll find it and I'll share it with you. I'll put it in the pod notes. And it ends with him lying on his back in a boat floating through a canal in Cambridge, quoting Shakespeare. Completely, like, you think he's on mushrooms or something. He's not. He's just gone full Shatner. And he's like, could it be that I'm here in this wonder? You know, it's like, just don't stop being Shatner. You've seen the there stuff with his horses. He's like, he's-, Man, he's The man's obviously he crazy. A, no, he's beautifully eccentric is what he is. And- um, Yeah, let's, let's agree on that. Right. Yeah. Well, and and been sent, and I mean, let's just say, bring it completely contemporary. He's gone into space, thanks to Jeff Bezos. It's like, I could put anybody into space. Who's it going to be? Well, who are you going to put in? And let's let's put Shatner in it's, space. It's the one good thing that Jeff Bezos has done. Um, Dr. Evil. Let, let's, uh, <laughs> let, I realise we've been talking for a while. So, let, so let's wrap this up. Um, so, uh, could have, would have, should have. Oh, well, have we got could have, would have, should have? Your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Who other than Multiban and Shatnick? Okay, go, go, go. go. Uh, so uh, it's actually for the role, uh, Kirstie Alley's role of Savick. Originally, uh, Nicholas Meyer's first choice was Kim Cattrall. Um, and uh, obviously, uh, she, well, she was unavailable at the time. And I think, Neil, you mentioned uh, Savick was recast in Search for Spock, but then Kim Cattrall was cast as a... uh, Originally, she was going to return in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, um, but they rewrote the role, so it was a different Vulcan, so Lieutenant Valeris. Um, So Kim Cattrall finally got her time as as a Vulcan on Star Trek. Uh, The only other could have or should I have is apparently Ron Howard was approached to direct this film, uh, he admitted he was a f- huge fan, but ultimately he turned it down. Interesting. Uh, Interesting. Uh, and the only final one, it's not really, it's a bit different from the usual coulda, woulda, shoulda, but apparently the original title for this, well, film was there was the Genesis Project, then it was changed to uh, Star Trek II, then Star Trek The Undiscovered Country, um, and then changed to The Vengeance of Khan, but then they saw that the at the time the working title for uh, Return of the Jedi was Revenge of the Jedi. They changed it to The Wrath of Khan. Uh, but obviously, the undiscovered country was used for Star Trek VI. Khan returns. I think Khan. would have been would have Khan. would have raised questions. When when did he arrive? So let's let's wrap up with some quick fire questions for you, Neil. Yeah, Neil, you can't leave until you've answered these questions, basically. Right on. So, uh, Charlie, do you, do you want me to post these in the chat? Do you, do you have them? No, I've got, I got them in front of me. Who, do, you, do you want to go first? Uh, How many? Yeah, yeah, go on then. Uh, so, Neil, 
you're allowed one Stallone or Arnie film. What film are you watching and why? I think it would have to be The Terminator every single time um, because it's his kind of first big movie, certainly, and it's still his best because he hardly says anything. He looks amazing and it's such a good film. So, yeah, uh, definitely, uh, even over Kindergarten Cop, it's got to be The Terminator. Good, good choice, good choice. A very good choice. So, a uh, question <laughs> I would follow up with is, what's your favourite Steven Spielberg movie? Uh, well, if, I say, if I say Spielberg, be... what, what, what pops out? Red of the Lost Ark is, is the first thing I think of when I think of Spielberg. Um, the, weirdly, that was a, that was a film that I discovered on video, on Betamax uh, video, and watched it again and again and again and thought it was absolutely amazing. Um, and, and it just reeks of iconic Spielberg um, and, and of the 80s, but not in a, in a kind of dated way. I, th- I still think it's a fantastic uh, action movie um so so for me spielberg that that's kind of the, the most iconic spielberg movie kind of closely followed by close encounters um because i think that's uh that's a very different kind of film but still has that really frenetic pace that the the, the earlier spielberg films were 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 known for okay okay what are you um, george who okay. is the best john john matrix johnny utah john mcclain or Johnny Five? Well, can I be controversial and maybe uh, suggest uh, adding John Connor to the list, seeing as I, you know, we're on a... I think I'm talking about in Terminator 2, not the other films, um, but I, I think that the portrayal of him in Terminator 2 is really, as a character, is really interesting. And and I would have loved to have seen them kind of develop that further in, in the, 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 uh, the franchise after that. Um, but uh, yeah, I do think he's a very interesting, quite layered, troubled, charismatic character in, in Terminator 2. So uh, yeah, I think he's probably my preferred John, um, if I can be cheeky and add him to your list. John, there's lots of there's lots of Johns. John Rambo. You haven't put Rambo on that list. We need to add Rambo and John Connor to that list oh, no, because they're very, very canon. Very, very. May, canon. Maybe I swap out Johnny. I can't. Do I swap out Johnny Utah? I'll just chuck in some I, other Johns in there. No, I think I think Johnny Johnny Five is very very niche. For I mean, we love Johnny Five, but I'm not sure everyone is. I think put in John Connor and John John Rambo. R- Rambo. So okay. over to me. So. Um, this is how I decide my friends, Neil. No pressure. Um, alien or aliens? Oh, right. Okay. This is difficult. Um, I, I, like children, I love them in, uh, for different reasons in different ways. Um, um. <laughs> but I guess if, if for a film experience, for a kind of a, you know, just sit down and, and be dragged along... It would have to be Aliens uh, because it's the more exciting of the two films, um, and you, it it stands up to repeated watching. Um, Alien does as well, but I I would probably fall asleep once or twice along the way. Sign of age. Friends. I was gonna say. Yeah, we are. No, no. I had, I had I was all ready to go. Can, can if we be best Aliens, friends? <laughs> if you'd said Alien, I said that's all we've got time for. Like if you'd literally, if you'd said Alien, I would have ended the podcast there. So. Pass, oh, you pass okay. the test, George. Do you do you have another question for a very a very um, patient guest? Yes. Uh, okay. So yeah, it's it's getting late, but um, last question. Uh, so you're you're on death row. 
what is your last meal and your movie choice? So this obviously doesn't have to be... We're obviously more interested in the movie choice. It doesn't have to be anything from the <laughs> oh, 80s and 90s, but, you know, what's the, the last film you ever want to see? Well, if we're if we if we're kind of sticking with an eighties vibe, then maybe an eighties buffet, like a like a, uh, you know, the kind of buffet you get at a um, a party, um, or a wedding, or a funeral, where you've got kind of, maybe maybe a little bit of that, but you've got a selection of sandwiches, you've got maybe some kind of meat products in a pastry of some kind, um, that uh, probably doesn't stand up to health and safety, um, you've got your crisps, you've got your nuts, you've got a little bit of everything, so you can take your time over it, so I can drag out my imminent death. Um, and and keep living for as long as as long as humanly possible. Um, as for film, um, I love that. What, what's film. your last meal? Thirty person buffet. <laughs> <laughs> um, the film that I would probably watch with it. I mean, Star Wars is is kind of the the, the film that really got me into cinema in the first place. So that's that's up there. But if I want to feel kind of happy before I die and maybe with the inkling of maybe a hope of something else beyond um, then maybe it would be It's a Wonderful Life and it's a bit Christmassy so you know why not it's a bit Christmassy yeah it's yeah. got death in it yeah yeah um, yeah wonderful yeah. well uh, sort of. so can I can I just can I just ch- jump in on that because I think we're all on this, it's like uh, what I would like to know sorry additional question because I'd be on the same page like if there was one film that I would go back to and watch in any state of mind, say my deathbed, because that's for me, it would always be Empire Strikes Back. Uh, and I don't, I just wondered which Star Wars yeah. film you were talking about. Where was it Star Wars or oh, right. it, Empire Strikes Back? It probably would be, it probably would be Star Wars just purely because it's, it's kind of the, I acknowledge Empire is, is superior in many ways, but, but Star, A New Hope, if you, want to give it that title is is the the one for me so i think you're right i think i probably that's the one i would probably if you had to force me to pick between the two it probably would be uh, the first star wars but star wars, star wars does have a happy ending whereas empire strikes back ends on a cliffhanger <laughs> i think no, i'm just thinking yeah. i'm on my deathbed yeah. it's like i'd like to think the stuff, stuff that happened before the stuff that's gonna happen after the universe mm-hmm. is cyclical mm-hmm. Anyway, we're talking. I thought, I, Charlie, I'll be, I'll be surprised. I would have thought you would have gone for Back to the Future, but um, but anyway, we we can discuss that for ages. Um, Neil, we've kept. You've just reminded. You've just reminded me that. Um, I was, sorry, I was just going to quickly say you just reminded me that that I I watched The Empire Strikes Back before on my wedding day before I got married just to calm my nerves, just to give me a distraction. Nice. I, for me, there's something about that third act that is that's the hope is the fact that it's all going sh- to shit and it's like yeah mm. but it's going to sort itself out it's like that that's what i love about that film anyway yeah. uh, um, neil it's been great having you on here thanks for keeping us straight on all things star trek it's clear to it's me that george george and i know less about star trek than we thought we knew at the beginning of this episode it's been a pleasure to have you on um it's been fun for me to go back and watch this if you're listening to this episode and you haven't watched space seed it is on netflix check it out and you could do what i did like wait till Chekhov says botany bay then press pause run off watch space seed come back it's like uh you know just chop that film in half go nuts um so yes uh no big thank you from me as well neil um so neil we, we we forgot to give your credentials um as well as 
a friend and a colleague of mine. Um, you are also an accomplished author. Um, so is there anything you would like to plug whilst you're on? Do you have anything uh, in the works? Is there, Obviously, you've got a few books out yeah. there. Where can people find you? So, um, yeah, if you're interested in science fiction, then I've got a whole series of uh, books called The Ark Ship Saga, which is a kind of um, science fiction, soap, uh, soap, soap, space opera, sorry, um, set in a distant future where the uh, the sun has been destroyed, the earth's gone. There is the only place people survive are in these giant arc ships, these giant kind of um, generational ships that drift around in what's left of the solar system. Um, so there's five books in that series and I'm working on the sixth one at the moment. Um, and I've also written a couple of uh, Doctor Who uh, licensed audio um, audio books. So there's one out at the moment called um, The Ashes of Eternity. And the second one is due out in January 2023. Um, and that's called The Ice Kings. So um, if you have a look on all the good retailers and some of the bad ones um you'll find um uh, those books there so we'll uh, put them in the links yeah. we'll we'll get get the links over lovely. to us we'll put we'll put them in the show notes lovely thank you uh, uh i'll also give a, a quick shout out to a previous guests we had on the show uh we had matt and liam from the uh, star trek podcast spotlight so for, what do they want, know? What, what if, do yeah, they if you know? want more what of a Star know? Trek fix, uh, you can check out that. <laughs> it's a great podcast. Uh, they go into depth on all things Star Trek. They also do a nice little sort of spin-off thing where they look at people connected with Star Trek and the film, like you know, films or, or other films that William Shatner has done and etc. All the sort of tenuous links. But um, yeah, it's a great podcast. They're friends of us. Obviously, they they joined us for the time travel romp time cop with john claude van damme but yes check those guys out as well i i get the feeling that when if when we contact them it's like we're doing rathacon they're like again we've got to go on another <laughs> podcast about this why why aren't people interested in the rest of the star trek canon but yeah so no big shout out to spotlight George, anything else we need to mention before we sign off? Uh, oh, well, there's the obligatory got... plug for, you know, leave us a review on iTunes. Um, we're on Patreon. There's there's extra hot, sexy piping content there uh, for the price of a, 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 a coffee. Every month we will give you an extra episode. So check out Retro Ramble on Patreon. If you want uh, the free stuff, we're on uh, Spotify and YouTube. YouTube's great because you can listen to us until you close the browser. Um, <laughs> so I haven't, re- unless you pay, unless you pay. Mm. Um, somebody has to pay for Google, for YouTube to be free. Somebody has to pay. No, I've got nothing else to add. We're at retroramble.blog. We're on all the usual social media infatuations. Neil, thank you again. Uh, we're going to share you, the, the links to Neil's mm. uh, books and uh, his audiobooks in the show notes it's been great to have you on this episode this has been star trek to the wrath of khan i've been charlie mcgee i've been george mcgee neil's been khan <laughs> oh no that, that's inspired that's can, inspired. can i uh, put in a request can we fade out with some works of william shatner some some uh, music I'm oh sure my we... god i've got so much to choose from so but i'm, I'm guessing i'm gonna get some i'm gonna get some top quality shatner to see us out but yeah. thank you for listening we will see you next time bye 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 locking phasers on target they're locking phasers ray shields fire 
She came from Greece. She had a thirst for knowledge. She studied sculpture at St. Martin's College. That's where I caught her eye. She told me that her dad was loaded. I said, in that case, I'll have a rum and Coca-Cola. She said, fine. And in 30 seconds time, she said, I want to live like common people. I want to do whatever common people do. I want to sleep with common people. I want to sleep with common people like you. Well, what else could I do? 